What do you do when it seems like half the country passionately and vehemently disagrees with the other half of the country? Getting Discomfortable With Partisanship You may have heard that there was recently an election in the United States. A very highly anticipated and hotly contested election. My understanding is that both candidates received more votes than any other presidential candidate before. And it wasn't exactly a landslide victory either. Which means the country, the United States, is sharply divided between these two different candidates, between these two different political parties, between these two different outlooks. It seems, according to the media and according to places like Twitter, like the two sides hate one another. Like the two sides are completely different planets with completely different values, perspectives, completely different worldviews. Both sides seem to think that voting for the opposite candidate is totally insane. And I get it. I align with the left side, with the liberal party. And I must admit that I find the idea of anyone voting for Donald Trump a little bit hard to fathom. Everything about the man feels totally insincere to me. And I, I just can tell that he and I do not see the world the same way. We have different values. We have different ways of behaving. We have different beliefs. And it's difficult for me to picture someone being excited about this man and the way he behaves and the things he says and his policies. It's, it's difficult. But I have a prejudice against right-wing politics. This has become very clear to me lately. I've started to get a very clear sense of what the feeling of a prejudice feels like in me. And I'm starting to notice more and more prejudices coming up. And they're basically these old emotional associations with something, some kind of negative association from my childhood between things like right-wing politics and organized religion. They just bring up this unpleasant feeling in me. And that unpleasant feeling then drives me to confirmation bias, a classic human bias, where we are always noticing the facts and details that support our previously existing opinion, probably also based on an old emotional association from our childhood. So we look for the things that confirm that old association, and we kind of just unconsciously ignore everything else. So that just sort of confirms and reiterates exactly what we already believed. And then we create all these logical arguments around that confirmation bias. And some of these logical arguments are indeed very accurate and logical and rational. But behind them, the engine is still this old emotion from the past that we haven't really examined. 
And it kind of shows that if you really want to, you can kind of find a rational argument for or against just about anything. Because ultimately, these opinions are subjective. You can find a perspective that makes them look good and a perspective that makes them look bad. And the real motivation to do this is to justify and confirm these old emotional opinions ingrained into us from our childhood. For me, I've noticed that anything that I, as a young person, associated with homophobia is something that I now have a strong aversion to and a bunch of logical arguments against. So organized religion, very commonly associated with homophobia. I have this prejudice against it, backed up by all these logical reasons why organized religion is bad, and look at all the damage they've done, and what horrible, corrupt institutions they are, and how blinded from reality they are, and and how much they hurt and misguide people, etc., etc. And there's lots of facts and logic behind that argument. But really, the main source, the main engine, the main drive for me to look for those facts and weave them together and prop them up as some kind of personal value statement is that as a child, as a gay child, I felt like these religious institutions didn't like me. And that created this shame and negativity that I have carried with me ever since. And the same is true with right-wing politics. Conservative politics have often been associated with homophobia. There, There is a lot of truth to that. However, it isn't true of all conservatives. It isn't true of all right-wing politics. And it is changing all the time. It is very much possible to be both politically conservative and open to gay rights. That's, that's absolutely a possibility. But for my young child mind, I just associated everything right-wing with, again, disliking me, uh, rejecting me, making me feel bad, making me feel shame. And that negative association carries on to this day. And when I feel myself arguing against organized religion or arguing against right-wing politics, I've started to really notice what that felt sense of prejudice is. And it brings up this emotion. Like, you can feel it. It gets it gets your system all excited. I've discovered that it's very difficult for me to just talk casually and dispassionately about these issues because I get so emotionally hooked so easily. And that's the prejudice. That's what's fueling it all, is this negative association comes up and there becomes this real incentive to fight against it, to find ammunition and logic and proof that that this concept hurt me, that this concept is bad, that, that I have to protect myself from this concept. And once I recognize, however, that it's a prejudice and that it's being driven by this old emotion, the whole structure kind of falls apart. And I, I feel the emotion and I get the excitement and my heart starts to pound a bit faster and and I start to be like, well, uh, let me, I'm gonna, and then I'm like, but that isn't necessarily true and that isn't necessarily real. 
There are tons of religious people who are not homophobic. There are tons of conservative people who are not homophobic. And anyway, it goes far beyond just homophobia. I've used that negative association to come up with all kinds of arguments against religion and against conservative politics. And those arguments are also limited. They're not true of all conservatives, and they're not true of all organized religions. Yes, there are a lot of conservatives who are also associated with backwards ideas like racism. But that's not really at the heart of conservative politics. And it's definitely not true or fair to paint the whole right wing, quote unquote, as if it is even a real thing, which it isn't, as being racist and backwards. And the same is true with organized religion. There's there's lots of organized religion that's very controlling and brainwashy. That's almost certainly true. But then there's also lots of organized religion that's that's not that, that's a lot more open-minded and a lot more flexible and that people are getting real value out of. So there's all these different arguments and attacks that I've been making against these institutions, and it just isn't accurate, it isn't fair, and it isn't true for the entire organization. In fact, the whole organization in my brain of organized religion and of right-wing politics, are they're not real things. It's, it's not like I can even lump all right-wing people and all religions together. Because within those different categories, there are these huge multitudes with all kinds of different ideas. So I'm creating these categories in my head that aren't even really real, and then demonizing them based on this old, unconscious, unpleasant feeling that comes up for me because of what I experienced and how I interpreted things as a child. And that's just not fair to impose that reality on anyone else. These categories of the left and the right, in air quotes, don't exist. Like, they're not real. There's no way that you can paint the entire left, quote-unquote, as one thing, or the entire right as one thing. These are these ever-shifting fictions that we have invented to try to create some kind of simplified structure for choosing governance. But this invented, simplified structure is starting to eat its own tail. And, like, if you look at the news or Twitter or the Internet in general— People are constantly talking about the left and the right. Oh, well, the left is always doing this. Oh, and the right is is always up to this. And the the right says this. And the left says that. And it's like, what are you talking about? Who is the left exactly? And, and, and who do you think it entails? Is, is everyone who voted for Joe Biden in this election the left? Or is it everyone who has ever voted Democratic? Or is it card-carrying members of the Democratic Party? Or is it just the politicians themselves? Or is it people who have certain beliefs? And what exactly are those beliefs? And when you say the left and paint them in one way, like, who do you mean exactly? And who's in that category and who isn't? And what are the criterion for deciding who's in and who's out? And the exact same is true on the right. 
I mean, I, of course, am mostly in a left-wing filter bubble on the internet, and I constantly see my peers saying things about the right that are very disparaging and just cannot be true for all of the people they are thinking in their head constitute the right. For me, it, it feels like we should completely do away with the categories of right and left, or at very least, certainly not talk about them as if they are such real constructs. I can see why politicians speak this way. If I was a politician and I want to be elected, then I want to paint everyone who doesn't agree with me as problematic, as wrong, as bad. And so I can see why if I am a left-wing politician, I want to demonize the right and I, I want to use scare tactics to make it seem like the right is the worst thing ever. And it's this big kind of faceless threat coming to take over the country and we have to fight against them and it's a war and it is of the utmost importance that you vote for me and my fellow team of left-wing politicians. Like, that's just creating a dramatic, emotional story that is likely to get people hooked and get them to vote for me. So creating that division and that boogeyman and that hard line between us and them makes sense as a political strategy to a degree if you don't mind destroying your country in the process. So politicians are using these psychological tricks. You know, humans have this natural bias towards in-groups and out-groups. When we were hunter-gatherers, it helped us survive and it prioritized our own genetic line to worry about the people that were in our tribe and to align with them and fight for them and with them and protect them. And when we met any other tribes, they were immediately triggering this sort of outgroup bias in our brain that made them into this different, frightening, dangerous enemy. So we would fight them off so that we could protect our resources and protect our survival. That made sense when we lived in these very specific tribes of like 50 people. But we don't live in tribes like that anymore. So this bias is creating all kinds of division that doesn't really exist. And politics, especially two-party political systems, is capitalizing on our in-group, out-group bias to create this passionate sense that we have to vote for a certain person and that if we don't, everything's going to be terrible. And I'm imagining now that on either side of the left-right political divide in the United States, people are saying to themselves, but it is terrible. If Joe Biden wins, he is going to do these terrible things. And on the left side, they're saying, look at what Trump did. He did these terrible things. And of course, from my perspective, I see the left side and I, I look at Trump and I see all these horrible things that I, I think he did. And I look at Joe Biden and I'm sure Joe Biden is going to make lots of mistakes and has made mistakes that I don't agree with in the past. But based on the way that my political views are wired, it just looks so much worse on the Trump side. It's like, oh, but yeah, so Joe Biden may not be the best candidate ever, but he's no Donald Trump. I mean, come on. That's how it looks through my political lens, through my brain. 
But it's no doubt that it's the exact same for the right to a large degree. They look at Joe Biden and he looks just as bad or worse as Trump does to me and most people on the left. And when they look at Trump, they're like, yeah, okay, so he's not the perfect candidate. He's got flaws. But I mean, come on, look at the look at the left as if we're going to vote for Joe Biden. So it's like each side is apologizing for their candidate being imperfect, but ultimately, based on their perspective and their values, the other side just looks so much worse in comparison. And both sides are seeing the exact same inverse thing on the other side. So who's right? Who has the right values? (laughs) Well, of course I do. But no, that's not true. I have to admit, I have these emotional biases against the other side, and and they almost certainly have their own innate, unconscious biases from childhood against this side. And who's to say if they're right or wrong? You know, we're, we're misguided on both sides. And I'd like to think that I'm less misguided, but I don't know if that's true. I'm My values are based on my upbringing, based on my emotional associations, based on what feels good to me, and I have all kinds of blind spots, and I have a very specific perspective, and there's all kinds of things that I don't understand and don't see. It's very possible that my values are are not the best values. And then, like, what does best even mean in this context? Like, What are our values ultimately trying to do? Are they trying to help us survive? Are they trying to help us thrive? Are they trying to help just me survive or just my people survive? Are they trying to help all of us thrive and survive? Like ultimately, it gets down to this question of like, what are our most fundamental goals and principles and values and morals and ethics? And I think when you get down to that level, it's all just an opinion. It all just depends on each person and what they think. There's no 100% right answer unless you identify so much with your own perspective that you can't see outside of it, in which case, of course, your perspective is going to be right and the other side is going to be wrong. There doesn't seem to be a lot of utility in my mind to demonizing half of the country or half of the world because they believe different things than you do. In fact, sometimes I feel like very few people in the entire world believe what I believe and I'm a complete minority. And part of my brain wants to say that, well, I'm the smart one and everyone else is stupid. And that's how I felt about religion for a long time. It was like, okay, so most of the world is religious, but that's because most of the world is stupid and I am the smart one. But believing that you are better and smarter than most of the other humans in the world, or even just half of the other humans in the world, or really just any other humans in the world, is not a great strategy, I don't think. We're all humans. And anytime you trash whole groups of other humans as not being as good as you, I feel like ultimately you're insulting yourself, really. Like, when I thought I was better than most of the world because I didn't believe in any kind of God, I was essentially hating the human race. So it's a form of self-hatred in a way. It feels like self-elevation, but I don't think it actually is. Humans are imperfect. 
That's the best thing about humans. That's the whole deal with humans is that we're imperfect. That's our superpower. And if I hate all the other humans because I think they're slightly more imperfect than I am, then I'm shooting myself in the foot because I'm not recognizing that my imperfection is what makes me human. And I can either appreciate being a human who happens to be alive and is experiencing this crazy miracle that is life, or I can reject it and be like, most humans are awful, I wish we were all dead. And that's a completely valid and legitimate viewpoint. But to me, it just doesn't seem like a great strategy for getting the most out of this rare, miraculous experience called life as a human. When I look at humans compared to all other animals on the planet, one thing that becomes incredibly clear is that we are adapters. We can adapt to anything, especially if we experience that anything in the all-important first, like, five years of our lives. Whatever reality we exist in for the first five years of our lives, our entire system will wire itself to adapt around that reality. That is what is real and true and good and normal to us. And that is the period in which a lot of these prejudices start to form. But even outside of that all-important kind of plastic area of time, years one to five, we are still adapters, and it is our sheer imperfection that allows us to learn and grow and evolve and adapt to whatever comes our way. That's why we're born unfinished. That's why we're not born completely run by a bunch of ancient instincts. Like, yes, of course, we have a lot of instincts, but I think our main instinct is an instinct to conform to what's around us, to conform to other humans, to adapt. And I think a big part of that is shame. Shame is the unpleasant feeling that comes up when we fail to conform with what other humans are doing. And so it, it negatively reinforces us to look around and learn and pick up the cues and the cultural norms such that we can fit in. So shame is a big part of what makes humans adapters. And our imperfection is a big part of what makes us so adaptable. So it's no wonder that there are all these humans out there who seem to be very imperfect and who seem to have adapted to something that makes no sense to us because they adapted to a slightly different culture or a slightly different viewpoint or perspective or experience. So their imperfection is going to seem heightened compared to our imperfection because our reality is that we adapted and wired our brains to something different than they did. And that's what's so fascinating about us humans is that we are not completely homogenous, controlled by inborn instincts. We can adapt to all manner of different cultures and ideas and environments and technologies. And those different adaptations, when they meet each other, will be like, what on earth is wrong with you? You don't seem anything like me. You don't believe what I believe. You don't act how I act. You don't speak my language. No, no, no. You're the bad humans and I'm the good humans. And, and that's our in-group and out-group bias right there. One tribe adapts to this culture, another tribe adapts to that culture, and when they meet to try to protect each other's survival, they treat each other as hostile enemies. That must have worked when we were hunter-gatherers. But now we have this global village in which all of these different imperfections are meeting each other 
and thinking that they're enemies when they're not, and thinking that they're different when ultimately they're not that different. They're just adapters who adapted slightly differently. But at the core, they're the same. They're adapters. It's like one chameleon sitting on a yellow branch and another chameleon sitting on a green branch. And the two chameleons look at each other and they're like, oh, dude, we are completely different. We are not the same at all. Look at you. You're yellow. And look at you. You're green. We're like a completely different animal, a completely different species, without realizing that at their core, they're both 100% the same thing. They're both chameleons. It's just that their bodies are camouflaging to two different branches. Humans are like that. We camouflage to the culture and the world and the environment in which we grew up and in which we find ourselves. And forces like shame power us in a very, very convincing and overwhelming way to follow and conform and to believe that these adaptations are real. So it's it's causing havoc when we can't see outside. We can't zoom out and see, okay, so... My adaptations, my beliefs, my prejudices, my biases, my imperfections are just a product of some arbitrary situations and environments that I grew up in. And it doesn't actually make me fundamentally different than a human who adapted to something else entirely. So I want to appreciate my adaptations, my values, my culture. Like That's all powerful stuff. That brings me a sense of meaning and logic and joy and connection with my people. That's all great. But I also want to be able to hold it lightly and see it for what it is and recognize that it's not any more real, true, good, or valid than someone who adapted to something completely different. And I want to recognize that even if there is some point of logic on my side where I'm like, oh, no, 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 the left really is better than the right because look at the logic that we have and look at the values that we have. They really are superior. Even if that were true and provable somehow, that doesn't really fault the people on the right because it's not their fault per se that they happened to adapt to that culture. You know, we didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose the world and the environment around us for the first five years of our lives. And from then on, we're pretty much just trying to fit in and survive and do the best we can with the information and perspective that we have. So it's not really fair, even when you think about it, to blame people for the way that their human adapterness adapted to what was around them and made it feel very true and good and right and safe and all that. It's like blaming a chameleon for changing the color of the twig it happens to be sitting on. That's just what a chameleon's body does. So, yeah, there definitely are some people that, from my estimation, from my perspective, appear to have adapted to some pretty bad ideas, some pretty ineffective strategies. But to hold that against them and to demonize them doesn't really seem fair. To expect them to see it my way, to expect them to see my logic is also maybe not completely fair. So what do you do? You know, like when I first became slightly political minded, it was like my thought was to either try to change everyone on the quote unquote right or to reject them and get rid of them and demonize them. Like when you really buy into your side of the political spectrum, it actually kind of makes sense to cheat. 
You're like, look, the people on the right, they're crazy. We, we, we don't want there to be a fair vote. We have to do everything we can to stop them from ruining our country. That's the kind of thinking that happens when you're so aligned with your perspective that you can't see that there's any validity to people having a different point of view. It's like you want to live in a world where everyone agrees with you and everyone sees it the same way. That seems like peace. That seems like happiness. But really, imagine living in a world where everyone sees it from one perspective. The entire world would have these massive blind spots that would ultimately backfire and cause a lot of problems. Like Even if people on the right are making decisions that I don't agree with, I have to admit that they are confronting me with perspectives and ideas that I wouldn't get anywhere else. And that is always valuable, even if ultimately I reject those perspectives and opinions. We need to be confronted with new ideas. That is part of what brings us progress and helps us get better and better strategies for how to make the world an equitable and enjoyable place. We need that information. We need to be evolving and changing. It just doesn't actually make sense for the entire world to agree with me even though that seems like it would be lovely. It's kind of like the intellectual equivalent of everyone having the exact same genes. If everyone has the exact same genetic code, one virus comes along and wipes us all out. And I think the same is true intellectually. If we all believe the same thing and have the same values and see the world from the same perspective, some new idea is going to come along and blindside all of us. So there's an opportunity to appreciate the people we disagree with, appreciate the people who make us uncomfortable, appreciate dangerous ideas, new ideas, scary ideas, even stupid ideas. All of that information is important and useful data that helps us see our blind spots and helps us kind of test and challenge our assumptions to see if they really hold up.